So at this point, um, if you want to use the nursery, we have that available for four-year-olds and down. You can head out and head over into that wing over there. There'll be child care for your kids there. A couple of uh, quick announcements um, to add to it that we didn't do before. First off, a reminder again on the 26th of May, which is a Wednesday or Tuesday night, Tuesday 26th, we're having uh, uh, another worship synergy night here. We have time to get together. There'll be music, singing, prayer. What did we put on Tuesday night? There we go. The other one, the other announcement I have to make is Tuesday. So hold the Tuesday. Wednesday the 26th. Whew, old brain. Wednesday the 26th, Worship Synergy here at church. Um, and you can remember, again, we're using that, the verse, the theme this time of the verse is that when we all come together, some might have a hymn, some might have a word, some might have a prophecy um, and those things. So I would encourage you to be seeking the Lord ahead of time, be praying, and if the Lord puts something on your heart that you think might fit into that or that you're not even sure if you think it fits or not, just share it with me. We might be able to use it. Um, and then the second announcement I have is on Tuesday, June 1st. There, I got that one right. Tuesday, June 1st, there's a congregational meeting here at church. You remember when we processed the adding of pastor, associate pastor and elder months ago and then finalized that, we said there would be a time where we would come back together as a congregation to talk about the salary package for the associate pastor position. As a board, we have worked through those details and are ready to present that stuff on that Tuesday night. So there'll be a chance to come to present the, uh, uh, the re you say, why are we doing that now? It's, it's part of that. It'll be leading. There'll be some things that'll be de dealt with between June and the, the, the budget year and then the new budget coming up in, in, the, in the year. So if you can come get the details on that that night, there'll be a chance to get that information, to ask questions, have discussion on that. So that's Tuesday, June 1st, okay? Um, I want to share a few things along the lines with, the, with Al's passing this week. Um, when I found out uh, first thing Thursday morning that Al had passed, um, two things, I had two words immediately popped into my head. I was immediately thinking about, you know, Al and different things, and uh, two words came to mind. One was graduation, and the other one was freedom. And I'm trying to figure out where, what, what do those words mean or why were they there? And as I've thought more about that over the, in the days here, I got thinking about Al, and I, I loved Al. I still love Al. Always will love Al. Al is just an amazing person. Uh, his wit and his humor um, will keep you off guard, to say the least. Um, I served, did a lot of things with Al. Um, Al served on our board for a while. Al was on the worship team for a while. Just a lot of interaction over a lot of things. And the idea of graduation, Al saw an awful lot of graduations in his life. Um, he never really told me anything about graduations, but knowing Al, he probably would have some smart comments about graduations if he could talk candidly. But anyhow, he had a lot, he saw a lot of graduations. He graduated several times. High school, bachelor's, master's. He started work on his doctorate, but never completed it. Um, but then he had kids, and his kids all graduated times, because at least the ones that I know personally, not only did they graduate from high school, but then went on to college and then got master's beyond that. So Al did an awful lot, and if that's not enough, and Al served for years in the school system and had probably the, the pleasure of going to graduations every year. So Al saw lots and lots of graduations. Al graduated this week. 
when God formed, thought about all the areas where Al grew up in, where he lived, southern Jefferson County, he saw a need and he formed Al. And in that forming of Al with the personality and gifts and skills and abilities, there were tasks and things that God had for Al to do. Now, Al didn't walk with the Lord necessarily early in life, but he came to Christ. And as he came to Christ, he, he used all of those things for God's glory. And Al finished that race and finished the coursework, if you will, that God had given him to do. And uh, when he completed that this week, and it's weird you say, well, Al's struggled health-wise and, 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 and battled things for the last few years. And so how did that happen? We don't understand, but the, the task for a person on earth isn't done until they go to be with Jesus. And so Al, Al graduated and finished that this week. And uh, the other thing, I was looking at the definition of graduation, it always talks about the, the giving of a degree or an award or whatever else in a ceremony. And when Al crossed from this life to the next, from this life to the next, the ultimate degree was handed him, way better than his high school diploma or his bachelor's degree or his master's degree or if he'd have gotten a doctorate. It was when his heavenly father, when Jesus Christ, the son, looked him square in the eye and said, well done, you're home. And I, I just want to bring that up, that his graduation was complete. The second thing, the second word was, you know, excuse me here, this is terrible, my computer screen has gone blank on me, which... There it's back, okay. The other thing, when I can remember my college graduation, when they were talking about the diplomas and they said they were going to do... There was always this thing as we, you, you the graduates today, we, we bestow these degrees on you with all the rights and the privilege thereof. And I'm trying to figure out in my mind what are the rights and the privileges of my bachelor's degree other than to be able to use that on my resume. I don't know. But the degree that Al received has some tremendous rights and privileges in it. Things like eternal life that doesn't end. Eternal peace And who knows what Al's ruling and reigning with Jesus will look like throughout eternity. But I can definitely tell you it's form fit for who God made to Al to be even on this earth and transferring into heaven that there's a ruling and a reigning and his job is not just done and he's not just going to sit at the feet of Jesus for the rest of eternity worshiping, which that'll be part of that, but there'll be ruling and reigning and things to do throughout eternity that Al actually was preparing for in this life. And has graduated into that. Now the second word is, is freedom. Al spent his professional life helping people find freedom. Specifically mental freedom. He was a counselor. And did a lot of things there. Um, he didn't talk a whole lot about... He did share as he got older more of the things that he encountered and faced. He was always good with confidentiality and things. But the things... He shared different stories at different times that I heard that I could tell still to this day troubled him or the things that he experienced and saw. I'm quite sure that the things that he saw and encountered in his career were difficult and at times just about heartbreaking. And I asked some of his family sometimes about, especially his kids, their dad's sense of humor. And they said a lot of times that I think it's the way that he deals with the difficult, yucky stuff that he has to deal with at his job is he just developed a sense of humor that would help him through that. 
I remember one time we were in a meeting, totally unrelated to anything at all. It was a marriage night, and in one of the breaks, um, I didn't know him well at the time, but we were getting to know each other better, and I, I really liked Al and was drawn to him. We were just standing there, and right out of the blue, he says, you know, Kyle, he says, we do the same thing. And he got my attention. What's he talking about? We do the same thing. And he went on to say, we both are involved in helping people find freedom and trying to figure out how to deal with all the junk and the stuff in their life. And he says, the other thing that we both know is we both know what the answer is. And the answer is Jesus. Even with all of his training and all of his experience and all of the techniques and counseling and all of the diagnoses and stuff and those things which he was an expert in, deep down inside he knew what the answer to the people that he dealt with and the answer to anybody's problem was Jesus Christ. And I want to say this too, that one thing in that idea of freedom is something we can learn in that, but the second thing is this, freedom. When Al crossed from this life into eternity, he instantaneously knew freedom like he's never known before. He's in the presence of Jesus himself. And the, one of the things Jesus says he would do throughout eternity is wipes every tear from our eyes and leads us in victory. And so you can be assured that Al on the other side is not encountering the difficulties, the pain, the sting, the hard things that he dealt with towards the end of his life and throughout life, the heartbreak and those things. He's in the presence of Jesus where there is no more tear. And now he understands everything at a full new level. And the encouragement that we can take from that, from somebody who we shared church family with, shared relationship with, is can we run our race and can we help people around us find freedom in Christ? And I believe that if Al could come back and visit us this morning after seeing what he's seen in heaven over the last few days and beginning his eternal journey with, with, with God, is that he would come back and say, now more than ever, I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt what you did before him, but now the faith has become sight that really Jesus is the answer to the needs of people around us and their need for freedom and release from the things that the world throws them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you again. I thank you that, that Al in his, shared, Lord, about the fact that he, he, he was able to go to church and to Sunday school when he was a youngster. Lord, I thank you that as an adult he gave his heart to you. Lord, I thank you that you had uniquely given him all of the opportunity to teach and to train and to be a counselor and to be a psychologist, Lord. But beyond all that, Lord, that even in the midst of all that, his faith in you was strong and then he recognized that you are the answer to people's problems. Not just their spiritual problems, but also their emotional and mental health problems. Lord, thank you that he mixed all that well, Lord, his training with, with spiritual things. Lord, I pray that we would gain and be inspired, that we would do our part in the, in the, in the part of the world that we live in, to touch lives, to remember Al's sense of humor and how that helped so many of us, and may we follow and sort, Lord, not to take ourselves too seriously, but to let you use us to bring cheer and hope and answers to people that need them. We just thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to take a look at another message in this Along the Line series and uh, along the way. Um, and today we're going to take a look along the way with, with Paul or Saul or whatever you want to call this guy. So um, we're going to take a look at that this morning. And I want to start out with this question of who was Saul or Paul. And the reason I have to answer, answer this question is because I had to dig at the time. What do you write in your notes? Do you call him Saul or do you call him Paul? 
And then when are you allowed to change that? So I just had to figure out, get some answers to questions that I had. So why, why does he have the two names? Why is this guy in the Bible, sometimes it's called Saul, and the next thing you know they refer to him as Paul, and maybe if you're new with your Bible and don't know that, you think there's two different guys, but it's the same one. Well, let me give you this. It's very simple. Saul was his Hebrew or his Israelite name. Okay? It was his Hebrew name, Saul. But Paul was born as a Roman citizen. Paul's dad was a Roman citizen, which automatically made Paul, Saul, Paul, Syria. So I'm going to do that all day long. You just have to deal with whichever one comes out. It's the same guy, okay? So, but he was born a Roman citizen because his dad was a Roman. Therefore, he had a Roman name. Guess what the Roman name was? Paul. So Saul is the Hebrew name. Paul is the Roman name. He's called, if you read, you say, not to give you this information, he's called Saul in the early portions of Acts when we're first introduced to him because in that portion, the, that account in the part of Acts is written from a Hebrew perspective because he's dealing, he's, he's dealing with the Hebrew church as a Jew. And so what ends up happening then, they, they refer to him as Saul. But you also know, if you read through that, once he was converted, once Saul was converted and came to Christ, he was immediately called of God to go where? To the, to, the, to the Gentile world, which was ruled by the Roman Empire. And so then in Acts, they transfer over and they call him Paul the rest of the time because Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is recording it exactly as it had happened. So in early Acts, people always re referred to him as Saul because this is all occurring in Israel from a Hebrew perspective. The latter part of Acts, after his conversion, he's going all over the civilized world that's under Roman control, and everybody there would have called him Paul because he was a Roman citizen, and that, was, that, that part of the culture at that time would have trumped Hebrews, which were only over in Israel. So there's that explanation. Really doesn't matter, but that might clear up for that, and it allows me to be able to call him Saul or Paul, whichever comes out of my mouth at a given time today, okay? Paul actually explains who he was, okay? So I gave you the, the name thing. He actually explains who he was, and he explains this in Philippians 3, 4 through 6, which I'm not going to read, but you can look that up if you want to. In Philippians 3, 4, and 6, Paul, in one of his letters, explains a little bit about himself in a defense of himself. He, calls, he says, I'm an Israelite from the tribe of Benjamin. And if you know your Bible in the Old Testament, this whole idea of the 12 tribes or the, and that and and he could trace his lineage right back to his forefather, Benjamin. So he's a Hebrew, in other words, an Israelite. He actually has a, linear, a lineal heritage that goes back to the tribe of Benjamin. He calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. That would be like saying, I'm an American of Americans, or I'm a, a I would use those things because at, when he's saying Hebrew of Hebrews, he's not necessarily talking about faith in God. He's talking about the traditions of the Hebrews. Because he goes on and says, I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the Jewish law. It was Jewish law that all Hebrew boys would be circumcised on the eighth day after their birth. He became a Pharisee, which means he was trained and then was a strict adherent to Jewish law. He was legalistically righteous. And I need to put that in there because we're going to take a look at some transformations that occurred in Paul's life. He was legalistically righteous, which means from little on up, 
he followed diligently the Mosaic law, which according to the Jewish tradition, if you did that, now I'm not talking about heart condition right now, I'm talking about outward acts and following the rules, and he's simply saying, I was legally righteous because I followed all the rules to the nth degree. And then, if you know anything about Pharisees, it went a step further where they added all kinds of extra laws to that, which he also followed. Okay? Then you go on to this one. So he's, he's actually a Hebrew, devout. I believe that, that, that Paul or Saul loved God. I believe that's from little on up. I don't think that ever changed. He said he zealously persecuted the church. Look what it says in Galatians chapter 1. For you have heard of my former conduct. This is after his conversion. You've heard of my former conduct in Judaism. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Paul, or Saul, was involved in the killing of the first Christian martyr. The first person who died for their faith, which is Stephen, recorded in the book of Acts, we're told at the end of that, as they prepare to stone Stephen, and this mob ensues, they take their cloaks off because off, it's easier to throw stones when you don't have a robe on. They take those off, and where do they put them? It says they laid them at the foot of a young man named Saul, who is Paul, the guy that we read about does all the missionary stuff and gets people saved. He spoke murderous, um, and actually says it goes a step further. He gave his vehement approval of what they were doing. We don't know if he threw stones, but he was definitely in the crowd roaring, egging it on and saying, this is the right thing to throw stones and kill this man because he's blaspheming. He spoke murderous threats against anyone, any Jew who was a follower of Jesus. And that's important you catch this. Before his conversion, before his conversion, his persecution, his hunting of people was not Gentiles. Gentiles didn't know Jesus at the time. It was Jews, Hebrews, who had converted to Christ. And he spoke murderous threats against them. He was, the wording here, he was ravaging the early church. He actually had gone so far as that he went to the authorities, the, 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 the temple priests, the religious leaders, and he was granted their permission and their authority to go to Damascus and find any disciples of Jesus that he could find, any Jewish people who were followers of Jesus to arrest them on the spot, take them into captivity, and bring them back to Jerusalem for punishment. And then research this week again. I've always puzzled about this. I wanted to know what out there people, some of the theories and ideas of why Paul or Saul persecuted the church. Let me give you one of my, before I got into why would I think that, because I, I, I don't know if I ever thought about this in Sunday school class or as a young man growing up. I just, I knew the story that Saul persecuted the church. He had this experience, which we're going to talk about in a minute. He converts to Christ, and then he basically takes the unknown world by storm, preaching the gospel. So why in the world did he persecute the church? Why did he appreciate the stoning of Stephen, a devout follower of Christ? Why did he, why did he go after people? I learned one thing in understanding and learning about Paul. Paul was zealous. He was just as zealous for God 
ready? I'm going to say he was just as zealous for God before his conversion as he was after his conversion. That never changed. His zealousness and desire to follow after God, I believe, was a continuum that was not changed one iota at his conversion. And I'll explain that further in a minute here. This is what I found as I read this week, that Paul saw the teaching of Jesus, which means what? The teaching that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus actually was raised from the dead, that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He found and he believed that that teaching, and if you were to follow that Jesus and follow that teaching, that somehow it would replace temple worship, which he was convinced in his own mind prior to conversion to Christ, he was convinced in his mind that God had commanded his people, which he had, to participate in temple worship. And he saw immediately when people came to Christ, it looked like their loyalty changed, and he saw that as a bad thing. He also saw that, that what he would have called, and actually that's what they called at the time, originally the early church was considered just a different sect of Judaism. Because the only people that were coming to Christ early on were people who were already Jewish in nature. And he would have seen that that sect of Judaism was, he saw it as a danger, a quote now, a dangerous defection from the law of God that could result in bringing upon the judgment of God amongst the, amongst the person who followed it and also the Jewish people. So he wasn't just willy-nilly off on a wild goose chase, although he was in some ways, there was direct, I believe, reasoning and understanding, although misguided, of why he did what he did. He saw not just, it wasn't just that he felt that the Hebrew nation was threatened by this new Christianity. He believed it was blatantly disobedient to what God had called his people to do. And it needed to be eradicated and, and so that the, the Hebrew people could be pure. I believe beyond a shadow of a doubt more now than ever before that his actions in persecuting the church and the attitude that he had was not from a heart that was anti-God. Actually, it's just the opposite. It came from a heart that was zealous toward God, but unfortunately was misguided zealous, zealousness for God. He needed to have a better understanding of who Jesus is. And if you get that right now as we go on the next stop, what he really needed to understand is he needed a revelation of who this Jesus actually was, because that's the, that's the cutting point in that. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was the Son of God, that he rose from the dead. He didn't believe any of that, and he believed it was a great threat for the human people. What he really needed was an encounter some way to have his perspective changed. Now remember that. I would say this too, that God had a plan for Paul. In Acts chapter 9, which is, I'm just pulling this, it's, it's in, the, in, the, in the, the story that we would, we're not going to read the story, but I'll, I'll summarize it in a minute here. But one of the things that God says to Ananias, who we're going to be interested in a minute, he says this, I need you to go because this man, Paul, is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God saw the zealousness of Paul. And this is the weird thing. You would think that God would have it out for a guy like Paul that was persecuting the church, that was, that was arresting and seeing to it that maybe they were even killed for their faith. You would think that God would have him on the checklist to take him out. No. God saw the zealousness of Paul and he saw 
what hopefully we recognize today, that all Paul needed was to have a revelation and understanding of who Jesus Christ was, and then that zealousness would be changed for the kingdom and be used positively. God saw that zealousness that Paul had for the things of God, even before conversion. He saw that Paul didn't understand who Jesus was, and so God did something about it. Now let's take a look at the next part. We're going to look at this along the way on the road to Damascus. So Paul is going to Damascus. What's his goal? He's not going on a sightseeing tour. He's not going to preach. He's got one thing on his mind. I'm going to Damascus, which is a neighboring area. I don't think it's in, in Israel proper. It's a little bit, it's, I think it's in Syria. It's, you say, well, why is he going to a foreign country to look for Jews? Because the Jews had been dispersed somewhat, and that's an, a, a close city outside of the country, so he's going to be thorough and he's going to go to this other place. And I think it also had some strategic location and Paul probably in his wisdom, which you find out that he actually transfers into actually being strategic about where he goes and preaches the gospel later on, he recognizes that if this teaching about Jesus Christ is solidly in Damascus because of the trade routes, it's going to go all over the world. And that can't be. So he's on a journey. I'm going to Damascus. I'm going to find those people and take them back, take them prisoner. But he's rudely interrupted on the journey, to say the least. The Bible tells us he's on his way. And it says, a light from heaven flashed around him. I tried to study a little bit of that in the language, but when you look up light, it says just that light. It doesn't say, there's nothing super good explanation-wise of what he experienced. Other than that, there had to have been something physical happened. And it says a light flashed around him. It definitely got Paul's attention so much so if he was walking or riding a donkey. I don't know how he traveled to Damascus. All I know is it says this light flashed, stopped him in his tracks, and he was so moved by what had happened that he was face down on the ground. I'm sure maybe you've watched movies and stuff and they dramatize all these things. We don't know whether that light knocked him down or he did what probably any one of us would do with something that was so supernatural of an event. He realized his smallness and he's instantly laying face down on the ground. It was a significant occurrence. It got his attention. And then he begins this interaction without knowing it initially with Jesus himself. Jesus calls his name. Saul. Saul. And then he asks him a question. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, let's stop. I want you to think about that for a second. What's Paul doing? He's going to Jerusalem. Not Jerusalem, to Damascus. To do what? To arrest Jewish converts to Christ. He's just soon before that has done what? Sat and was involved in the brutal stoning to death of a devout follower of Christ who had just preached a sermon about who Jesus is before that. And now, the first question Jesus asked him after getting his attention, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I would imagine there was puzzlement, he was floored, he was moved, because he doesn't even believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And he still doesn't know this is Jesus. 
I'm sure that that got his attention because persecuting, who am I persecuting? Because that's not the way he viewed it. He knew he was arresting Christians. He knew that they might pay with their life. He believed that's what he was supposed to do, though. So this persecution, what are you talking about? So what's his response? Who are you, Lord? And I don't believe it was a, a diversionary attention, like trying to avoid the topic. I believe it was heartfelt. Who are you? You have knocked me down this light, and now you're telling I'm persecuting? Who are you? Paul had to know. He had that moment. I gotta know who it is that's talking to me. He needed to know who it was that interrupted him. Who got in the way of what he saw as his righteous God-given duty to go and arrest Christians. Who was getting in the way of this? And Jesus speaks to him. The very Jesus that he doesn't believe in doesn't believe he's the Son of God, doesn't believe he's the Messiah, and reveals himself as the head of the church that Paul is going to persecute. He says, I, I, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. I, by the nature of this story, it didn't take Paul very long at all. He didn't have a an academic crisis. He didn't have even a really a spiritual crisis at this point. It appears in the way the story is written that did he fully understand who Jesus was in that moment? I don't know, but he went about a 180 degree turn as anybody ever has because he doesn't balk, he doesn't ask any more questions. He actually gets up and does exactly what Jesus tells him to do. I believe that the way that that came out, that Paul in that moment has this immediate revelation that Jesus is exactly who Stephen said he was in that sermon. And any Christian he'd come across, which he'd heard the teaching, he knew that this was true all of a sudden. Now Jesus gave him some instructions in that interaction too. He told him to get up and go do something. In other words, get off your face and get up. He says, I want you to go to Damascus, but now your job has changed. You're not going to arrest Christians anymore. He says, I want you to go to Damascus, and when you get there, I'm going to show you what you're to do. Isn't it interesting that he gets his attention, he changes the course of his life, but he doesn't tell him what to do. Don't you hate that sometimes? Everybody says, I wish that God would just send me an email or that he just text me or something and tell me what I'm supposed to do next. He didn't even tell Paul that. He said, I need you to get up off your face, I need you to finish your journey to Damascus, and oh, by the way, I'm going to show you what to do. So there was a waiting in there. He was going to need to go and wait for God to show up. What he didn't know is what God was going to do was God was going to clearly reveal to him what he was to do, not just immediately, but for the rest of his life. It was going to be this urgent, compulsorily, unavoidable call on his life that he couldn't get away from. And you'll find that as we read, continue forward in the journey and then if you were to read the rest of Acts. Paul was very well aware that something significant and life-changing was happening to him. But he didn't have the full picture immediately. What was the immediate result in Paul's life? He got off his feet. When he got up, guess what? Can't see. Totally blind. For how long? For three days. Totally blind for three days. So he literally needs to be led by the other people with him to Damascus because he can't see. When he gets there, 
The Bible says from the moment that he was knocked down on the road to Damascus, he doesn't eat or drink anything for the full three days. He fasts. You say, yeah, he probably just lost his appetite. I don't believe that for a second. See, Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. And one thing you'll find about the Hebrew people, that when they needed to know what God wanted them to do, and they're in this crisis of what am I supposed to do in seeking God's face, they fast. His fasting, I don't think, was he had this significant moment, he lost his appetite. It's like, God, i got to know who you are. I need to know what I'm supposed to do with all this. I'm fasting until you speak. And he was definitely obedient to what God had. Now, another one. Along the way with Ananias, you got this parallel story. Who knows what Ananias was doing that day? But I guarantee you, when he woke up in the morning, what God had on his agenda was not on Ananias' agenda. Guarantee you of that one. It definitely did not include, as a follower of Christ, which Ananias was, his agenda for that morning was definitely not to go and find the man who's the prominent persecutor of this faith that you have and go and tell him about Jesus that he doesn't believe in. Guaranteed that wasn't the case. God spoke to him in a vision, got his attention. I would have liked to really have, that would be really good if we actually knew exactly what that interaction, and we have some indication, but basically what God tells Ananias in the vision is, listen, Ananias, I need you to go to a man named Saul who is the persecutor of the church. He told him exactly where Saul was, exactly who he was. And he tells him, oh, by the way, Ananias, I have already visited Saul. I have shown him a vision of a man coming to lay hands on him so he'll regain his sight. Now, exciting? Most of us, if I told you that on the way home today in your car that God was going to visit you in a vision so strong that you'd have to pull your car over and that God would speak directly to you and give you direct instruction of what you're supposed to do tomorrow because he's got a specific plan, all of us would go, yeah, that's awesome, I want that so bad. Exciting, that's what we would think. Dramatic, yup. Desirable, Initially, we'd say absolutely until it happens to us. What's Ananias' response? But Lord. <laughs> Ever use that one? But Lord. He had a lot of them. The Bible didn't tell us which one to use. But God, this, this guy harms people like me. But God, this guy's actually got authority to arrest people like me. And God, do you realize he's got the authority to throw people like me into jail and maybe even have me killed? Do you realize what you're telling me to do? <laughs> kind of crazy. Do you realize, God? What's God's response? Two letters. Go. Have you heard that one? You recognize that statement over the last several months? How about this one? Go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. Do you realize 
that the command that God gave Ananias is no different than the Great Commission. Except his has a very specific recipient on the end instead of general. What was he supposed to do? Go. Go and do this. Go and tell Saul that he's my chosen instrument. Go and tell him that I have a very specific task for him to do. Tell him that I'm going to lead him to take the good news of Jesus Christ to the Gentile world. Oh, and by the way, if that's not enough, also tell him that he's going to have to suffer an awful lot as he goes in obedience to me. How would you like to give that message? First off, quake in your boot, am I going to get killed? Am I going to get arrested? Does God really know what he's talking about? Well, okay, maybe this guy's had a conversion, but then you want me to tell him what at the very end of this? They've got encouraging messages to go and then, oh, by the way, you're going to suffer an awful lot. God always gives all the information, the good and the not so good in the midst of it. He doesn't hide those things from us. So Ananias goes. When he finds Saul exactly where God said he would be, he walks up to him. I'm the guy that God showed you in a vision, which, of course, would have gotten Paul's attention again because how does this guy know that I had a vision about a guy laying hands? And he says, I'm him. God has sent me. He wants me to pray for you. Lays hands on him. He prays for him. And his sight is restored. Actually, God does it through Ananias. And then he gives that instruction to Paul. Jesus sent me. He wants you to see with your eyes. And he wants you to be filled with his Holy Spirit. So there's a lot that happens in that transaction. He receives his eyesight. Let's talk about that. What are the results? What are the results of Paul? A whole bunch of them. Notice what I didn't start with. didn't start with his eyesight. As a result of this whole thing in Paul's life, the, the Damascus experience and Ananias sharing with him, he now knows Jesus directly. He knows who Jesus was. Paul never met Jesus physically, face-to-face in the flesh. Even though he's early church, he never did that himself. He does say in his writings that he had direct visitation from Jesus himself, where he directly received teaching from Jesus himself. And it's not all done in this interaction. He has another experience that he doesn't tell us when or where or how, but he alludes to the fact that Jesus visited him again and gave him direct instruction and probably was a lot of the things that he used to teach and to take the gospel to the Gentile world. So not only does he know Jesus, he regains his physical eyesight, but I want to take that a step further. He receives his physical eyesight, but even more important than that, you know what? His spiritual vision is totally transformed and changed for the rest of his life. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's empowered. He's equipped now to be ready to go and do what God gives him to do. He's he's given a God-given task. What's his task? Want to guess? Get used to this. Go and tell. His God-given task for the rest of his life is to go and tell. Who? The Gentiles. Non-Hebrews. Take the gospel to the people that are not my chosen, which is a revolutionary change. Revolutionary change. And look what it says here. Let's take a look at it. Acts chapter 9. I love this. At once. 
right after, immediately, immediately after Ananias shows up in that interaction. It says, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the guy that raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take people like us to prison, to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. This is amazing. Paul didn't go to Bible school. Paul didn't have time in this to study his Bible. He already knew the whole Old Testament. And in that transaction with Jesus Christ, in that revelation, all of the things that he knew about the prophecies of the Messiah and of Jesus, he instantaneously, all those things connected to the point where he went into the synagogue itself and stood up in prayer with people. And he just didn't say, oh, I, I was visited. You've got to believe in Jesus. No, he took them through Scripture and said, Jesus is indeed the Messiah. And it rocked their world. This is the guy that was punishing people. Now he's telling us, and it says what? He began to preach in the synagogues, and all those who heard him were as astonished and asked. And it goes on like he did a very, very good job of those explanations, and it got people's attention. Why the change? Why so quick? Because Paul was already zealous for God before the Damascus experience. Don't ever think that that zealousness all of a sudden just showed up. It was there beforehand, although misguided. He had, this is crazy, it'll stretch your thinking. He had a heart for God before his conversion to Christ. He was diligently following God. He just wasn't following Him correctly. He desperately wanted to be obedient to the God that he understood even before his conversion. He just had not received the full revelation of Jesus Christ up until that moment. And that's why the change was so quick. And you know what? There are people in our world today, listen to this, there are people in our world today that have a heart for God, that do believe in God. They just don't know about the Jesus thing. They don't know about the power that's found in the Holy Spirit. And people like that that have a heart and do the best that they can with their understanding, when they are introduced and have a revelation to Jesus Christ, their life changes instantaneously and they are released in the ministry like, in unbelievable ways, very quickly and very rapidly. Because they don't have to unlearn anything. They don't have to change allegiance because they were already allegi had allegiance to God beforehand. You know what? Paul... Paul's zealousness never changed. It was consistent throughout his entire life. Pre-conversion, post-conversion, right up until the day he dies. He never stops doing what God called him to do, to go and preach to the Gentiles. He does this all the way until it costs him his very life. He even has some amazing statements in the New Testament. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. He is wrestling with the same things that you and I wrestle with. He says, I want to go and be with God so bad. I want to go and be with Jesus so bad. That would be the best for me. But Jesus clearly has me left here on earth to share the gospel with people that need to know. And for that, that's Christ's gain. And he was willing to lay aside his own self to see the kingdom of God grow. 
Paul goes on, travels over most of the Roman Empire. Not all of it, but most of it, a good share of it, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, starting churches, calling leaders, teaching and training people how to follow Christ. He goes on, and a lot of the letters written back to the churches is now in our Bible. So you can say he wrote the Bible. Did he sit down and write the Bible knowing that I was going to have it in my hand? No, he didn't. He was writing encouraging things and addressing issues that were going on in the churches of the day. He planted churches all over the Roman Empire, and all the way through all the things he does, he's going and telling people about Jesus and who he is and how to follow him and what that should look like. Well, what about us? Let me ask you a question. Has Jesus gotten your attention? You probably haven't had a flashing light apprehend you and drive you to your knees. I'm talking now about a literal flashing light stopping you in your tracks and driving you to your You probably haven't had that happen. You probably haven't lost your eyesight physically. You probably haven't had a strange man come to you and lay hands on you that God forewarned you was going to happen. But I will bet that God has gotten your attention in your life. I'll bet you that he, there have been things in your life that have brought you to your knees, that have stopped you in your tracks, that have forced you to stop and look at life differently. Have you committed your life to Christ? Have you come to Christ for forgiveness of your sins? Have you submitted to His will for your life? If you've done any of those things, then He has gotten your attention and He's brought into your knees because you've submitted to Him. If you haven't, then today is your Damascus Road experience where He's trying to get your attention so that you'll come to Christ. The other reason I know why he has gotten your attention is you're here today, and I concur with exactly what Jeff said this morning. You got better things to do than to come to church on a Sunday morning unless God, God has gotten your attention by his Holy Spirit, that you would value coming here better than enjoying the second beautiful day. Well, I shouldn't say that. We've had a few beautiful days in spring, but it seemed a long time in coming over the last couple weeks that you could be out doing so many things, not even your yard work. You could just be sitting in your chair in the backyard drinking lemonade, enjoying the sunshine today. But you're not. You're here. And you're not here by mistake. The Spirit of God has done something in your heart, got your attention that you would come today. And no, it's probably not so you could get jacked up on sugar and caffeine for breakfast connectors, although that was great as well. God is involved getting our attention. Jesus has been doing things and will continue to do things in your life to get your attention and make you look. Why? Because Jesus wants to reveal himself to you. Absolutely convinced that Jesus wants to reveal himself to you as an individual. He gets your attention and he brings you to a place where you say this, just like Paul, I got to know. I got to know. Those things don't happen every day. But you know when they happen. You say, we have a crisis of faith or a crisis of whatever, and it's not necessarily a bad thing. We're just put in a spot where things are around us and sudden our brain kicks in or our spirit kicks in and says, I got to know. If it's the last thing I ever do, I got to know the answer to this. God wants to lead you 
to grow in your understanding of who he is. He wants to, ready? He wants to correct your inaccurate view and your lack of understanding, true understanding of who Jesus really is. And I don't care if you've walked with Jesus your whole life. There are still things about Jesus that you don't understand, that you really don't know, or that you're misguided in. And God, Jesus is constantly working to get our attention and to give us further revelation of who he is and what that looks like and what that means in our lives. Scripture, you say, well, that's a pretty harsh thing to say. It probably is Paul that wrote it. We see what? Dimly, then we shall see clearly face to face. He's alluding to the fact that while we are humans trapped on the earth, I don't care how spiritual we are, the fact that the Spirit of living God's in us who brings understanding, as long as we're trapped in a human body with a human mind, we really only see dimly of who Jesus truly is. And there's constant work that he's trying to do to clarify our vision, to extend our vision, and the fullness of that does not happen unless, like Al, we cross from this life to the next where all of a sudden the humanity is ripped away once and for all, and we see Jesus for who he is, not just with our eyes, but all of a sudden we get the full picture of who Jesus Christ really is and what God's purpose was and God's master plan. In a moment, bang, like that, we see the whole thing. I want to say this to you this morning too. You know what? Ask you the question. Are you blind? Were you blind? Do you ever have a time in your life where you didn't see Jesus for who he is? And most of us immediately think pre-conversion. Of course I didn't know who Jesus was. That's why I came to Christ. I understood he was. <clears throat> That's true. I'm also asking you as a follower of Christ. Do you ever not see Jesus for who he truly is? Do you ever fail to recognize Almighty God for who He really is? Do you ever have misunderstandings and blind spots in your understandings of God or His Son Jesus? Do you ever have lack of insight in understanding the role that God is to play in your life? Yet you still have this compelling longing, not because you've wandered off. You're actively seeking God. And as you begin to think about that you might have some blind spots, these are the questions you ask the same ones that Paul did. When you begin to wonder, am I understanding you, God, for who you really are in this situation, or Jesus, what you really intend to do? And we ask this question, who are you really, Lord? Not who are you, I understand you're my Lord and Savior, but who are you in this situation? What's that supposed to look like? And you say these things in your own language. I gotta know. When we give our heart to Christ, and we fully devote our lives to him, and we realize that he calls the shots, we get to the spot before him pleading, just like Paul that way says, I got to know God. Remember what Moses said? God, if you're going to go, and you're going to tell us, you know, if you're going to tell us to go, God, I'm not going an inch further unless you promise to go with me. And, and many of you, when you commit your life to Christ and you start walking obedience, you have that same gut-wrenching, wrestling with God. It's like, I will go, God. I'm going to go, but you've got to go with me because I know if I go on my own, it's over. I can't do it. We also then, the longer we walk with Christ, the more we find ourselves saying, as, as hard as it is in any situation, we say, no matter what, God, I must follow you. I think another thing when Jesus said when he was walking this earth, he gave a very, very hard teaching 
He gave somebody an ultimatum, not an ultimatum, they asked a question. He said, if you want to follow me, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the young man was rich, said he hung his head in discouragement and he walked away. He walked away. And then we would love to say that Jesus turned around and ran after him. Did nothing of the such. That man walked away and Jesus let him go. You know what he did? He turned to his disciples and he said, are you guys going to leave too? That doesn't sound very loving. doesn't sound very compassionate, does it? He turns to his disciples and says, are you guys going to leave too? And then Peter speaks up and says, no. You, listen to what he says, you alone have the words of life. You and I find ourselves in that same spot. People are dropping like flies, walking away from their faith, deciding to go in a different direction in obedience to Christ. And we know that that's not the way it's supposed to be. And Lord, I must follow you even if it costs me whatever. And Jesus sometimes might even ask us that same question. Are you going to leave too? Are you going to walk away too? Are you just going to do what's convenient? And we have this heart's cry inside of an own language. Says, I-, I can't. You only are the only person I've ever known, God, that actually truly has the words of life, that truly answer the gnawing and longing in my heart. God will send people to you to where you are. He sent Ananias to Paul. He's going to send people to you right where you are. To do what? To pray for you. When you can't pray, another prayer because you're in crisis. He'll send somebody. He'll send somebody when you're wrestling to explain further who Jesus is in your life. He'll send somebody to talk to you and to train you and to model what walking closer to Jesus looks like than you already are. He'll also send people to interject ideas into your life about what you're supposed to do to walk in obedience to Christ and what you're to do with your life. I want to reiterate to you, today could be a Damascus Road experience in your life. I'm not saying it is for everybody in the room today, but I would be shocked if there's not at least one or two that what's going on right now is kind of like the flashing light. I'm not saying you're going to have that kind of visitation, but God has got your attention and it's causing you to stop. And when I use the words, I got to know, your spirit's screaming, I got to know. And the other one's just saying is, I must follow, even if you're not, there's a part of you that's saying, I must follow. I've got to get this down. Isn't it interesting? You didn't bargain for any of this when you came today. When you tuned in, whenever you're tuning in, whether it's today or next week. You didn't bargain for You didn't know what the message was going to be, but God did. And he's gotten your attention. Along the way, just another Sunday message. Just going to church today. I'm just going to go to church today. Well, maybe I'll go today. they got breakfast connected. I'll go today. Those aren't mistakes. We're not doing it to entertain. We're not doing that to draw. That just happens to be what was going on today, and this is the way God ordained these things so that you'd hear the message you're hearing today. God's got your attention. And I want to encourage you that once he has your attention, you look to him to restore, to further, or to sharpen your spiritual vision. To remove the scales from your eyes so you can see clearer, spiritually speaking. You seek a further, deeper revelation of who Jesus Christ is. Even if you have to know, we sing, we sing a song regularly in church, I want to know you more. I don't like sometimes that more because that's a very American thing to say. But you know what? 
That's what Paul was crying out that day. I want to know you more, God. I know who you are, but I don't know this thing that we're talking about. I've got to know more. Recognize and admit today that you can't see spiritually. I don't care if you've walked with Jesus for 50 years or 60 years or 70 years or 80 years. Don't think I can say it in 90 because even our oldest person would have only been, I don't know if we have any 90 pluses in there, but it doesn't matter. So we'll go to 80 years. Even if you walked with Jesus for 80 years, you need to recognize and admit to yourself that you don't always see spiritually as you ought and it requires God's intervention in your life to clear up that spiritual blindness. My encouragement to you, submit to this process today. You can look for God to tell you what to do. You can look for God to tell you what you're to do today. We've already talked about all the things that you can do for yourself personally, but I want to go a step further now and challenge you. Look to God to tell you what to do. Recognize God at some point in your life, I can guarantee you, is going to call you to be somebody's Ananias. I can say that confidently. If anybody that's a follower of Christ, sooner or later, God has you handpicked with an appointment all set up to be somebody's Ananias, to help them regain their spiritual eyesight, to come to Christ and have a deeper revelation of who God is. You let God show you who it is He wants to tell. You let God tell you what to say. Even Jesus said, I only say what my Father tells me to say. And if that was good for Jesus, it's good for us too. Go and tell people that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, that He's impacted your life, that He's opened your eyes spiritually, that He's filled you with His Spirit, and that that filling of His Spirit has given you power and peace and joy and grace and mercy and all the things that make you tick are because of the Spirit of God in your life. Oh, and by the way, know this, it won't be easy. It won't be easy. Ready? Suffering will come your way as a result of going and telling. There's not a person that Jesus Christ called that didn't have the reality of the suffering that went along with that. Difficulty will come when you answer the call. Not everyone will like you because you're obedient to God. But I will tell you this, that if we even have half of the zealousness of Paul, if we have half of the zealousness of Paul, we will find ourselves, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of difficulty, going the extra mile to be obedient to what God has called us to do because we love, our, we love our Savior and we're committed to following after Him. Jesus has promised that He'd always be there for you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Can you hear this? If you're a follower of Christ today, He has a whole group of people for you to reach. Your family, your friends, your co-workers, people, even for some of us, people of other nations and cultures that you don't even know right now. He has people for you to reach. He will show you if you listen. He will visit you 
All we have to do is in those moments when he shows and he visits is to give him our full attention. I want to take a second right now to talk to him in prayer. I would just encourage you right now, I'm just going to be silent, stop talking for a second. You, you talk to God about the things that stick out in this message and you interact with him just like Paul did that day. Go ahead and do that for just a few seconds. Lord, I ask today that you would get our attention. You've already been working at that. I pray that we would give you our attention. Lord, I pray for each person that's hearing this, Lord, that we would not make this something for somebody else, that God is visiting somebody else today or that he's interacting with somebody else today. I pray that we would personalize that and not miss an opportunity to interact with you. Lord, I pray that we would have yielded hearts, hearts that submit to your will, hearts that submit to your plan, hearts that submit to the things that you tell us and want to impart to us. I pray for each person, Lord, a fresh, brand new revelation of Jesus Christ, a brand new revelation of who God is and what he means to us and what his, what his interactions in our life are supposed to look like. Lord, I pray that it would be not somebody else's revelation, but personal revelation that comes directly from you, that nobody could ever strip away because of the way it comes. Lord, I pray that you'd speak to people in their own language, in a way that they understand with the phraseology and the pictures, Lord, that, 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 that relate to them. Lord, I pray that you'd drive truths home into our brains right now, into our spirits. Sink strong stakes, Lord, that would have the impact in our lives of your visit, like your visitation with Paul had on his, that changed his life forever and gave him inspiration and drive to be obedient and follow you for the rest of his days. Lord, I pray that we would have those kinds of interactions, that we would seek those kinds of interactions, Lord, but that we would humbly yield ourselves and submit to the things you show us in the midst of that. Lord, I pray for hearts that are, that are willing to be corrected, willing to be told the way it is. Lord, restore our spiritual vision. Remove the veil, remove the scale from our eyes in the areas that we can handle. And Lord, prepare us, Lord, for those things. Lord, Help us to see you for who you are. Help us to see you for what you want to do. Help us to see the plan that you have for us, Lord, as you call us and say, I have handpicked you for this role to go and tell. Help us to realize those aren't things that just happen to Bible characters. They're things that you do in your people all over the world, including us as individuals. Help us to hear that. And Lord, help us to do exactly what Paul did, which is immediately to go and act on that. Trusting, Lord, that you'll empower, 
that you'll guide and you'll give us the right words to say in the right time. Lord, I pray for appointments. Appointments with people that need to hear about you. Appointments with people who are already zealous for God, even though it's misdirected zealousness. Whose hearts are already ready to receive the seed of Jesus implanted. Lord, I pray that you would cause our paths to cross and that we'd be sensitive enough enough to your spirit, Lord, to be able to help somebody to understand who Jesus is and what his desire is to walk with them in their life. Lord, we just pray that we would be tools in your hand, that we would have joy in the journey, and you would help us along the way. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we close, I just would like to remind you that we have prayer available during our closing song. Um, my wife and I will be right over here ready if someone would like prayer support for whatever might be going through your mind. Um, and I want to say to you, I think Paul's question that he asked Jesus was super important. I want to challenge you to begin to like seek this out in your life. Who are you, Lord? Who are you, Lord? And then, and then I, I looked quick in Psalm 139, or sorry, 119. If you just scan that, teach me your ways, teach me, teach me, help me understand. And I would just encourage you to really dig into those kinds of concepts. I want to, ch- no, I, 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 I was going to say I want to challenge you. I am challenged today to seek out that kind of zeal, to consider what is the thing, what are the things in my life that I give my energy to, and why, why am I not committing that much energy to seeking after what really matters, okay? And so, um, I want, yeah, so my challenge today is to be, I need to be more, I'll tell you guys, I need to be more disciplined. I need to follow through better. I need that zeal like Saul had Um, And so um, we're available for prayer. If you've never believed in Jesus and today is the first time you ever heard that and you're like, I want that, please come up and we can talk you through that. We can talk to you about what that even means. If you have something where you just, you know, I'm facing this thing and I just don't know how to do it, come up and we'll pray with you about that also. Thank you.